You're listening to the Boss Business of Surgery series, episode 109. Today is part two with Dr. Paul Mashad. We talk about when divorce challenges your identity at work. A lot of times we think work and personal life are separate, but something big in your life will show you that that's not the case at all, that our personal life does affect work. So I'm very excited for you to hear this conversation about he navigated the challenges of divorce when you're trying to be a leader as well. And if you're having trouble at work, Amanda Hill and I's joint program, The 90-Day Notice, starts December 12th. Head to BossSurgery.com for more information. Welcome, surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we needed to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. Take us through when you started realizing that you were not portraying how perfect you were at work. You mentioned that when you were married, you had the, the what is it, Ken and Barbie perspective at work. When people looked at you in your life externally, what they saw was not what was going on in your home life. Take us through a little bit of that perspective. So I think there's so much, and I don't know where this this came from from me, but there was a lot. And people have just given me feedback that I I guess I present, even if it's unintentional, because, well, I'll tell you, it is unintentional. That's not the way, that's not what I'm about. But I guess there was this air of perfection that nothing ever bothers me. I never have any problems. And again, if you think about that, that's going to be a barrier to anyone communicating with you. And I, I think as time as time went on and people started to open up, and then as I started opening up, they realized like, hey, no, Paul has his stuff going on too. And particularly relative to my personal life, my wife at the time was a big part of my, I would say my persona in the hospital. And I think that's the way, and I I guess I would say that's the way we, we portrayed it. And that's certainly the way it was perceived. She was very engaged. She would, she would cater. When I say cater, she would make lunch for my staff and we would, we would have meetings every other week where we would have, I I would lead a, a CME session on leadership or usually what we call soft skills, those type of topics. But there was absolutely this, yeah, this this Ken and Barbie perception that that people had of us. And that all came crashing down when we separated and ultimately got a divorce. And I remember that feeling of back to these back to these very basic emotions, right? Shame and embarrassment and now I almost saw myself in the position that I was talking about seeing the other people in where Irony, I was not okay. I was not okay at all and struggling with something very different, but I had to put on this face that everything was okay. And what I think I learned in time is that was really a barrier. And, and again, it wasn't intentional. But that was a really a barrier to me having deeper relationships with a lot of my teammates. And I think when whatever you you, you want to call it, not that they wish this on me or anything, nobody wishes that. But I think as they realize like, hey, Paul's human too. 
And then also, I think even for me to not have to play that role anymore and not pretend anything is perfect and or everything was perfect. I, I, in a sense that really deepened my relationship with everyone else. And it, and it really became like, Hey, and I hope they felt this way. Hey, Paul does good things and Paul's a good leader, but you know what? He's human just like us too. The idea of divorce and going through that process can be challenging for everyone. So tell, tell us a little bit about someone who helps someone who may be going through the process of feeling like the life, which we thought was perfect is not perfect. And going through the experience of how, where do we go from here? Yeah, and I think this goes back to some of the qualities, again, that that make us good good physicians. So I, I guess the best thing I can do is just share some of the, you know, feelings I had at the time. And it's one of them is how is it possible that my life is absolutely going the way that I want it to in every single way I can think of, except the one way that I most want it to go well, which is in my most important relationship, right? And so that's hard to deal with. And and again, as physicians, like I said, all those things, like we never give up, we can fix everything. Well, how is it that I can't fix this? Mm-hmm. So that was... And again, even logically knowing that there are two people in a relationship, right? I mean, both people need to want to make it work. So it's not always in your control. But again, we kind of have that idea and we're taught as physicians that, hey, yeah, we can impact any situation for the positive. Well, that's not really true. And so kind of that same concept as we were talking about with kind of letting go of of a career path you thought you were on or, or you've you've arrived professionally. Well, what happens when you realize, hey, I thought at this point in my life, like I would have arrived personally too. And and that's not true. So the grieving that happens in letting go of that, that relationship. And I, I think not that it's not hard on non-physicians. I think it is. I think it's hard on, on most people. But I think particularly because of those qualities that are bred into us, even, even kind of what you said, like just the idea of I, I remember just wanting to crawl into a cave and not tell anyone that this this major, major event is happening in my life. And oh, by the way, of course, they're going to notice because she was such a powerful presence at the hospital to begin with. And now all of a sudden she's not. I mean, of course, someone's going to notice that. And here I am trying to pretend that it never happened. Yeah. So I I, I think that avoidance of of what was happening was very real. And I I think in in many ways, the very advice that I was giving others to take and the ways that I was trying to help the people I care about, I was not taking that advice myself. Isn't that just life kicking you in the teeth? That's right. (laughs) Right back at you, Paul. Yeah. I mean, you start to realize that everything that you've learned as a CMO and dealing with other people and recognizing things at work and realizing that everyone's not perfect, it's so annoying to realize that we aren't either. The beautiful part about it is when I actually acknowledged it, the exact way that I hoped that I would handle difficult situations with my teammates, that was the way my teammates handled the situation with me. Amazing. So 
tell us, I know that this was like a long process. So someone yeah. who is not familiar with divorce, who may, may be now starting to think, okay, I'm starting to see that not all is well. And um, I think that separation is going to be the the choice for us at this point. What would you advise someone who's going through that now? Like, what do they need to hear in that moment in time when they're starting to see like, I think this is probably where this is going. So I think the first thing I want to say, Amy, is that I I want to acknowledge up front that my experience was probably not the typical one. And I would say I certainly hope it was not or it is not the typical one. What do you mean? I don't think people often teach us how to grieve people who are still living. And that's a part of this process. And I don't think I allowed myself to do that for many of the reasons why I explained before. It's just inbred into my my personality. And so I think one of the things I would say is allow yourself the grace to to grieve and 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 and, and by the way, it's, it, it could be a long time. And and in many ways, I would say I, I I still am certainly in a much better place than I was four years ago. And so I, I should probably say that. So my separation was initiated in 2019. God willing, our the the process is finally complete. But that that took place uh, just this last March. So a very, very long process. Another part of letting go is, I think, recognizing that the person that you married is likely not going to be the same person, at least the way you perceive them um, when you're divorcing them. And that's hard to come to grips with, because I think if you're truly honest with yourself, even under difficult circumstances, you had many, many good years together. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, and I think one thing that happens is we can often lose sight of that. We can often go, but it actually boggles my mind sometimes how you can be like, okay, at one point in your life, this was like the, the person you cared about more than anything. And wait, today, like you hate them? Like how, how, how does that even make sense? I've experienced those emotions though, so it doesn't really have to make sense. I, I mean, some people are going to feel that. But I do think it's important to take a step back and and recognize that. Like this is this is a different situation now. I would say the sooner that you acknowledge that that's happening is going to be important because I think most people need help. I think there are a few people who can handle this alone. And what I mean by that is just have a support system. And again, I or do the opposite of what I did, you know, which is, hey, nobody can support you if you're not willing to acknowledge what's happening. So I went for a period of time where where no one knew. And a part of that is, I think, back to these feelings that I had a shame and embarrassment is somehow I had in my head like that I was the only person in the whole world that has ever experienced this to ever feel this way. And that's very isolating and you feel very alone. And again, logically, that's not true. I mean, unfortunately, you know, divorce is a reality in about 50% of people's relationships. So, but... When it happens to you, it's very isolating. You can feel alone, but it's very hard to get help if, if you're not willing to acknowledge that. So I, I guess I would say, and ultimately what I did was, it was one of the best things I, I did is I let my staff know. I remember I, I had a team meeting and I'll tell you, they were as, about as devastated. I, I, I was actually surprisingly shocked by their response too, because they knew 
number one, what family meant to me, even what our family meant to the hospital. So I think maybe it was even a grieving process for them, but it was so freeing that I didn't have to come to work every day and pretend it was something it wasn't. And oh, by the way, I knew they were going to find out at a certain point, right? (laughs) So it was like a ticking time bomb. Like I'm trying to hide this thing that I know is going to come out. And here I am, this leader who always talks about, hey, be honest with me. Tell me with whatever your problems are. We'll tackle them together. We'll figure it out. And I'm not following my own advice, right? So I I really think finding a strong support system is is probably the, the, the most important thing to do. And that starts with acknowledging with what's happening. The biggest thing I would say, particularly if you have kids is just realize it's not about you and it's about the kids. And again, maybe there are some situations where the kids are better off. My experience is that most of the time it's going to be a very, very hard road for the kids too. And when you're going through something difficult, it can be hard to appreciate what else is going on around you. But one thing I always tried to do is whenever I was having a tough time, I would think back, well, wait a second, what are my boys going through right now? And oh, by the way, they didn't ask for any of this. And oh, by the way, they love their mommy very much. And they love their dad very much. And oh, by the way, Yes, maybe my identity, my identity is changed, or at least that perceived identity that I had created has changed. What about theirs? What about the idea that what they've always saw was an intact family? It's not going to be that way anymore. There are a lot of challenges that they're going to have to navigate moving forward. And, and so I think having that perspective and constantly doing whatever you can to remind yourself, like, yeah, this is tough. This is tough for you and it's going to be tough, but you're an adult. Your kids didn't ask for this, you know, and, and just, just try to remember, you know, what can you do given the situation? You know, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But how can you at a minimum not make it worse for the kids? And what I've seen many, many times and somewhat in my own experiences in the process of just the natural things that happen in divorce, people will interact with their soon-to-be ex-spouse in a way that is ultimately most hurtful, not to the ex-spouse, but to the kids. And I think if that's something you can remember, in the long run, you'll be much better off. And maybe as importantly or more importantly, your kids are going to be much better off. You talk about so many important concepts of all this is first is this identity of this perfect couple that we have and the perception that we want people to have of us at work, which is I have it all together. And then we go into this, well, this is not all that it's seen. Now life has changed. No one's taught us how to mourn the loss of something that we've wanted that we now don't want anymore. And so then we think that there's only us leads us to shame and isolation, which leads us to not reach out to people to help us. But then we progress to where now something actually has to happen. And so there is the emotional aspects of this saying, this person 
I don't even, I'm not even sure I like this person anymore. And, you know, this is not who I married and all, all the things and, and all the things that get caught up in this moment. But then taking yourself beyond this of saying, I mean, when a lot of times by the time we stop to the point where you were talking about of saying, like, what is the effect on the kids you, that we're usually it's brought to our attention because we have caused some harm to the kids. Yes. Yes. And yeah, adding just further compounding all the stuff going on to this. And what I want to say, I want to go back to something you just said. If you have some forethought about this, so like I said, obviously I knew this was going to come out at some point, right? We we live in a community. That's the other thing. Like we were present in the community. Like people are going to know. So here I am in my head somehow saying I'm trying to hide this. I want to keep this secret knowing it's going to come out. That that in itself is stressful. But here's the other thing that happened. And, and what I, I only realized after the fact is – if you can at least separate yourself, and sometimes this takes a good friend to, to you know, help you see this and, you know, help you work through this. But if you can see this process hanging out or playing out, the best case scenario is that you are managing it on your own terms versus you're reactive when, for example, what could have happened, which didn't, thankfully, is a coworker comes to me and says, Hey, Paul, I know that this is happening. Okay, well, now, now I, can't, I can't manage that in the same way I want to, right? And so, and then the same thing, if you can have that perspective of, hey, yes, things, things are going to be tough. Things are going to, I mean, there's going to be fun things that we never thought we had to talk about that we're going to have to talk about. But if I can have that forethought to say, and ultimately this is this is another thing that I try to do is I want to be able to look myself in the mirror at the end of the day. I want to look myself in the mirror at the end of the day. I want my kids to be proud of me. And those are the things that I often always tried to go back to in this process. But again, I say that because if we're not thinking about it at the time and we kind of let the process control us, we can be a year down the road much damage done, and then damage control in these situations are are much harder working backwards than it is to somehow do your best to acknowledge that up front. And again, I say that fully telling everyone that I did not do that well myself. What do you want to tell the person who is sitting there and now realizing I have caused harm to my kids, I've caused harm to my ex-spouse, I've caused harm to who I thought I was as a person. What would you tell them? Apologize. So the other thing I'll tell you is the kids know very much what's going on more than you even realize. They know. If you think about the nature of kids, they they are born to be very in tune with their caregivers. So they very much probably survival mechanism are born to be in tune with what's happening with their caregiver. Cause if their caregiver is not okay, then that threatens what's happening with them. The kids feel this no matter what. And so what I would say, and this is incredible, but I, I would, I, I guess what I'm saying is to me, this is not different than whether it's, it's a kid that what do you do when you've caused harm in any single relationship? Well, you take steps to repair that relationship. That's what you do. And that's going to be hard. And that's going to take a lot of humility. And I think the only way to do that is to start out 
by saying you're sorry and genuinely apologizing and then understanding, particularly with kids, they may not have, depending on where they are developmentally, that they may not have the emotional regulation to, to handle what you're saying at the time. And you may be met with who knows what, maybe even anger. And now that feels even more hurtful because you've, you've, you're trying to apologize and that was met with anger. But again, the thing is, let go of yourself in that situation and just try to appreciate where they're coming from. And it's hard to predict how they're going to be, they're going to respond. But I think be prepared for that because they're hurting, right? So again, hurt people hurt people. And, and guess what? It's even worse when we're the source of the pain of the very people we love the most, right? No. I think it starts... It starts with genuinely apologizing and then genuinely changing and not repeating and not doing those things. And, and sometimes for me, it's a matter of it's a matter of separating. What I mean by that is if something just happened, if some conflict just happened between me and that other person, I'm going to consciously tell myself I am not going to allow this to the best of my ability to impact my kids. And if that means I have to take 15 minutes in my room by myself, I need to do that. And the kids deserve my best self. And if I can't be my best self at that time because this thing just happened or I'm, that I need to make sure I take the time that I need, call that friend, discuss it over with them. If you know, you're in therapy, discuss it there. But just be aware Um one saying I like is a part of learning to trust yourself is learning when you can't trust yourself. That takes a ton of self-awareness, but yes. I think we all know those times. It's, it's kind of like, Hey, I don't think I'm going to send this text right now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> same thing with your kids, right? If, if you know, you're not at your best self and potentially you're going to do something that you're now going to have to apologize for again later, which is exactly the thing you just apologized for. Let's not do that again. Take the break you need, whatever mechanism you have in place. Don't perpetuate the hurt that they already feel. Yes. And what reminds me, there's two concepts that this reminds me of is, is one is this idea of isolation, which of course will lead to shame and us acting from an emotional perspective, which everyone would understand, but in our, in our right moment, we don't really necessarily understand, but going to Brene Brown's idea of shame resilience, which is reach out to a trusted source, talk kindly to yourself, but owning the story so you can own the ending is where the apology comes from is now you start to own the story. And that's, that's really where we start breaking the shame cycle is those three steps, which I think is most helpful. And the other part is the, the physician trap of this. We are raised to have, like, we will be the solution. We take ownership of all problems and we own a lot of things that we don't necessarily need to own. So like trying to fix it and trying to own all of this is something that we've learned in, in training that that hurts us in a lot of different ways too. But this is one of those things, owning all of this is helpful to own the story, but how much of this do we have to own? So I love that idea about responsibility. And so maybe I'll, I don't want this to sound like parsing words here because that's not my intent, but I do believe there's a difference between responsibility and blame. So the beautiful part of responsibility is that when you take responsibility for something, you can change it. 
right? The problem with blame, number one, it's 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 it looks backwards, and I, I guess that that's the big difference, at least the way that I look at it, right. Responsibility looks forward, whereas blame looks backwards. And I can't change the past, right? I, I th- th- that that's what I can't change. So essentially, I think that's almost like a defense mechanism where I'm giving up hope, or I don't have to take responsibility because I, I blame something else. And this is true in almost any aspect of our lives, right? When we take responsibility for something. And, and again, in this particular case, relative to what you said, I'm taking responsibility for my behavior. What I'm not saying is, you know, you don't take responsibility for other people. You, you can't control other people. Let go of that. You know, but no, my behavior, I can take responsibility for. And the here's if there's one if there's one redeeming thing of taking responsibility for the, the fact, because guess when you hurt someone, guess who else is painful for yourself? Because I can't believe that I hurt the person I love the most. How's that possible? How did I do that? Mm-hmm. Right? But here's the good part about taking responsibility of it. If I take responsibility of it, now I can change it. I can change it looking for If I blame all these external, oh, y- you know, my ex made me do this, or I did this because of my ex and it's their fault. Guess what? You're going you're gonna to keep perpetuating the hurt. It, w- it will never end. Yes. And so I think the beautiful part of taking responsibility for what you rightfully should take responsibility for, which is your behavior, no matter what else is going on. And I'm not saying anything. This is, is none of this is easy, right? But the beautiful part is you can change it. And I've seen how that happens. And then the other point that I wanted to bring up that you mentioned is the moment I acknowledged what was going on and all those feelings of shame and isolation, feeling alone, the moment I acknowledged those were happening to other people, it became so incredibly clear that it was exactly the opposite, right? <laughs> so, so, so again, it's it's one of those things that these these difficult times in our life, whether it's divorce or, or whatever it is, it could be, okay, as physicians, it could be a risk management case, right? A lawsuit, right? And, and cr- like, we don't want anyone to know about this and we hide it. And then all the things, I've, I've heard stories of people saying they've, they've avoided for months opening mail and well, guess what? That problem's not going away. And, and usually that problem's growing. Mm-hmm. And, and again, the reason why it grows is because there are things that are happening. And if you're not acknowledging that, that what's going on, you're probably perpetuating things that, that are going on. But the moment I acknowledged it, all the shame went away. That the isolation went away immediately. And all those feelings, even though I knew it, you realize in a very strong way you're not alone and other people are going through this. And here's another thing that happens almost, well, I've experienced this in a number of ways. When I was able to own my story, so to speak, I can't tell you how many other people came to me and said, hey, Paul, I heard through the grapevine you're going through this. Can I talk to you? Because I'm going through the same thing right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So now in the process of you working through and acknowledging what's going on, you're at the same time, perhaps opening a door for someone else that's going through a similar struggle and you're helping them avoid or at least open up or at least address all those same feelings because they're thinking the same thing. I'm alone. I'm embarrassed. I feel shame about this when, hey, we're feeling the exact same thing. So it's powerful in many, many ways. I mean, it's a gift that we give other people 
And what we get in return is, is recognizing that our pain has some purpose. Now it doesn't feel like this purposeless event that happened to us. Now it feels like part of the journey that we are now sharing the common humanity with other people. So if you look at, I think if people would reflect on, uh, on their lives a little bit, and I think what you said is very, very important. It's that almost always those painful, difficult parts of our life become a part of our purpose. We hear this all the time. Who become, you know, if you think about the people who become the greatest advocates for various you know, diseases or whatever. They're people who have experienced that themselves, right? And just imagine the courage that that, that takes to, to confront those things. And now I'm going to say, I'm going to turn this pain that I'm feeling into a purpose. And sometimes it's, and I'll just take my, my case, for example, you know, I couldn't heal that relationship. I couldn't make it better, but there are probably two things I can do. I don't have to make it worse. And maybe what I experience can be a source of healing for somebody else. And at least I get to take that away, Mm -hmm. you know, and oh, by the way, that also makes me feel a little less alone and less isolated. So I, I love that point, Amy. That's powerful. And I know that there was some hesitancy to share your story about all this because it it is hard to look back in time and say all these things that happened. But so now what would you tell the person who now starts to realize it's okay to start sharing these things? What do you want them to know? I think it's exactly what we said. And I think I'll just use a a different uh, way to say it. And I can only speak from my own experience, obviously. When you do share your story, I think you're going to find it's healing for yourself and for others. And it's, you know, so there, there again, we're doctors. So, right. We, we, we keep going back to these analogies, but I, I often think of th- these things kind of like an abscess, right? So there's that infection there and it gets walled off and yeah, you, you, your body did a, did a good job of kind of protecting it from everything else, but that infection's still there. It's, it's not going away. And then, you know, Amy comes along and, or, you know, maybe I, I diagnose it on the CT. I call you, we talk about it. You go in and you're going to take care of it. Right. Well, guess what? Post-op day one doesn't look so good. A lot of times post-op day one is not that great. Right. But I'll, and, and, and sometimes you can feel like, wait a second. I felt before the surgery that I did on post-op day one. And so I, I know that, that, Oftentimes, it's that process of first addressing the issue. It feels worse. It feels awful. However, post-op day 14, now we're doing better, right? And it was the only way that was going to work. Yep, It's the only way it's going to work. And we can pretend that, yep, it's it's going to stay walled off for a while. But what happens when it doesn't? Now we're dealing with, with something much worse. So I think that idea of, and, and maybe even, even the other thing is, we, we haven't talked about this yet, is, again, I'm, I'm usually better at giving advice to other people than I am myself. But so one, one piece of advice I always give people, and I think as, as physicians, we can be incredibly hard on ourselves for all the reasons we talked about, right? One thing I often say to people is, hey, 
make sure you be a little gentle with yourself, right? And, and I think we can all offer that to ourselves too. You've likely made some mistakes in, in, in this process and it's acknowledging those mistakes that you're going to be able to move forward and, and, do, and do better. You have to address that, that abscess because if you don't, I promise it's going to get worse. You don't acknowledge what you're going to, you're, you're going to perpetuate the very problem you, you say you're trying to heal. And so it's, I, I think that that little bit of pain that you need to experience that post-op day one to get to post-op day 14. And going to the, the thought of kids. So it's interesting how much we try to protect our kids from life. But when you have a situation like this, that's difficult for everybody, you know, what are we teaching our kids so rather than saying life is perfect and easy and we don't make mistakes, <laughs> instead it's, yeah, guess what? Your parents appear to be human. Yeah. So I, I would like to actually address the bigger picture on this too. So that what you just described is what I think about every day as a dad of five boys. So our role, you're exactly right. Our, if my role is not to protect them from every single possible thing that can happen. Actually, I, I'll, I'll, I'm not saying I'm right. I'll just share with you Paul's philosophy on it. I, I, I do something very different. In fact, I try to allow my kids to make mistakes that are all but catastrophic. So what does that mean? My kids are very open with me, so they'll they'll talk with me about stuff. There are some times when I think what they're they're talking about doing, I probably wouldn't do. But as long as I ask, as, as long as I can tell myself or convince myself, like, hey, this is not, this is not earth shattering, right? This is not going to completely change the trajectory of their life. No, it's worth it for them to experience this. And I say that for two reasons. Number one, it comes from a place of humility. Maybe I don't have the answer. I think I have the answer. You know, I probably have the answer, but maybe not, right? Number two, the lesson is going to be much more meaningful if they experience it themselves. This is something that in my family, we talk about on, on, a, on a regular basis. So I'll even tell you another kind of funny example. One thing we talk about, all my boys, thankfully, because the situation we're in, they don't have to work, right? They all work. The ones that are old enough to work, they all work. And we've had that discussion like, hey, dad, like you could take care of everything for us. Like, well, why can't we do this like this friend, that friend? And I said, because I need you to know what that's like. I can tell you what hard work is like, how you become able to work hard. You work hard. You know, you got to take that job at that restaurant, that pizza place first, even though we don't have to. So that's kind of a, a more um, benign example of kind of <laughs> my view of parenting, which is exactly that. We And in the process of, I think, taking responsibility of things ourselves, we teach them how to take responsibility. Because again, like you said, for the most part, I think we do, I'll just speak for myself, I idealized my parents. And at some point I realized, not in a bad way, but I realized, hey, they weren't perfect, right? And the times that meant the most to me were when my mom and dad said, hey, Paul, I'm sorry for this. And it could even been it could have been something small, but the fact that they could come to me clearly in a position of authority or power or whatever you want to call it, and they're coming to me and apologizing, 
that's very powerful. And I think the same thing goes to the lesson. I, I think you can extrapolate this to leadership. As a leader, when you make a mistake, apologize. Guess what? The reality of it is you can put up whatever perception you want. They know you're not perfect. They know you make mistakes. And the worst things to feel as, as a teammate is when everyone knows the boss made a mistake and they won't acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. Right. But how powerful is it when that person does? Because, again, it, what's the goal of all of this? Do I want to be right or do I want to be effective? No, I want to be effective. Right. So mm -hmm. I think that's the way that I, I look at it. And I think your kids will learn to understand that. Yep. You're not perfect. They're, they're going to figure it out with time anyway. So why not now? Right. <laughs> Go all in. But, but in the process <laughs> of doing that you're also teaching them how to effectively apologize. And not only, it's not about the, it's okay, taking responsibility and now I can address the problem and be more effective than I want to be in my life. I mean, we really want our our kids to learn from other people like, oh yes, that difficult uh, boss that you had, this is why you don't have to be perfect. It's a different story when we say, well, you know how I did that? Well, we're going to Yes. <laughs> sometimes be the lesson. And that's that's not always easy. Exactly. But, and there's purpose to that pain too. We are their best example. And we don't have to do it right, but we don't realize that we're thinking that we have to do it right. So we hide from them and we rob them of the lesson that they can learn from this too. You know, that's the I'll tell challenge. you another funny story real quick. So one thing I work out with my older boys and it's getting to the point where they're becoming stronger than me. And so when they, when they beat me in something, they love to say something like, Hey dad, I, I finally got you. And I think they, they don't get as much joy in that anymore because my response is always the same, which is maybe you don't understand the greatest joy I get as a dad is when you surpass me. I think that same thing applies with our mistakes. Like, yeah, the best case scenario is when our kids learn from our mistakes without uh, necessarily having to repeat them. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Easy to see now, but I'm sure at the time it didn't feel that way. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So what are some last thoughts you would tell someone who may be going through this process? I, I guess what I would say is, and, and you have, you know, you have such an interesting form here, Amy, is, is that... I'll just I'll just reiterate the concept of of reaching out, and I'll tell you, you'd be surprised. I'll just share this with you, and this is how you had a previous guest that shared her story. I didn't know her, and I just cold emailed her, mm -hmm. right? And I told her how much I appreciated her courage and strength to be vulnerable, and I received. A reciprocating email back. And it's even if things like that, like maybe, maybe it can't be right now. Maybe it's too fresh to be a, a colleague or a close friend, but there's got to be someone, right? There's, there's got to be someone out there. And, and it may be even vicarious. It may be even listening to a podcast like this or, or doing some reading on the topic, but little by little, because ultimately the goal is to share and own that story. You may not be able to do that right away. So I'll go back to it. Okay, great. Be a little gentle with yourself. You're not ready to do that now, but do something. Maybe it's just, you, I don't know if you've seen this phenomenon. Sometimes people will say the most interesting things 
to someone they don't know, they don't know at all. And I actually think there's some rationale behind that. I actually think it's because there may be less judgment. There may be less judgment or you, or you think, or you perceive in your head, there may be less judgment with someone I don't know. And maybe it's because you've built up that persona of perfection or whatever that is. But maybe if I just reach out to someone that I don't know, and I'll tell you, I've done that myself. And I just gave you an example of the way. And invariably, I've been met with a, a message that is meaningful back. And so whatever you have to do to be gentle with yourself, whatever you have to do to get this process going, I would say do that. Yes. And the person that you were mentioning was Jennifer Whittington. She was at episode 83. Um, I actually think she had two. So that was episode 82 where she talked about divorce. Um, That's right. And- Oh, one last thing that that I think that's worth mentioning is this idea of the identity as a provider and how you had to confront that identity crisis. And then also how being a high income and sole breadwinner was held against you in the process. What would you advise oh. someone to do with that right now? Okay. So yeah, I think one of the biggest parts of my identity as my career was progressing is how my career allows me to provide for my family. Mm -hmm. And so that was an incredible source of pride for me. So this could be in very simple ways, such as just the nice things that I could do that I want to do for my family, the way my family was treated when they come in the hospital. Now I know like ideally everybody should be treated the same, but the, the point is it's not that it's not that other people were treated poorly. It's just my family was, as the a leader, my family got a particularly warm treatment. And I took a lot of pride in that, right? That, that meant a lot to me. What can happen sometimes in the divorce process is the very things that you take pride in as a provider becomes something used against you. So for example, as a leader, as a doctor, we have long hours. Well, wait a second. If you have long hours, how can you take care of the kids well? Mm-hmm. Well, wait a second. Hold on. Like this very thing that provided so much for our family is now not good. Right. And so I think that's that's an example of something. And and I'll tell you, there was a point where I even almost thought of giving everything up. And there was a time where I was just like, well, wait a second, I'm going to I'm going to do something else. And it took me, I would say, a couple of years to now I once again take a lot of pride in what I do. I love interacting with people. I love calling surgeons and saying, hey, we we have a tough case. Let's work through this together. Here's what I'm seeing. What do you see? I lost that for about two years. And I think the reason why is I that was used as a wedge as why I can't be the dad that I want to be. Now, that was never true. It was never true. But you can imagine how that could be used against you. And I'll tell you, too, I was lucky as a radiologist. It was very easy for me to stay. I I took a remote job. I worked from home. I was always there. What if you're a surgeon? What if you're seeing clinic all day? Can't do that. So that's another aspect of identity that I think it's, it's possible other people might struggle with. And what I would say is, no, don't don't fall into that trap. What you are doing you are providing great things for your family and there's always a work around it. Hey, if you have to get different childcare, get different childcare. That's okay. 
you may have to do things different, but it doesn't mean all that that you work for and all the importance and pride you take in providing for your family, that's still there, even though the family looks a little bit different. Yeah, I think that's such a great perspective because Jennifer mentioned the same thing happened to her is that her job was used against her. The the thing that we take such pride in that we work so hard for now becomes a weapon used against us. And it, it can make sense why we'd have some conflicting feelings about that. So thank you so much for sharing your sh- story. I know this is going to help so many people, both from the perspective of the first part of this, which is the perspective of the CMO, what you're thinking and what your goals are. I think a lot of people don't look at it from that perspective. They just look at how they're receiving things. But then this obviously is important aspect of the personal aspect of what happens when life turns out a little bit differently than we think. And what are some of the preventable things that we could do? How do we avoid unnecessary suffering? I mean, we're all going to have some element of suffering, but there's certainly a lot that we can avoid and I think sharing your story as you have, I think is going to prevent some suffering for other people. So for that, I really appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you, Amy. And I guess what I'll just say, just to continue with this message, if anyone wants to reach out to me, feel free. All right. And I'll make sure that have them reach out to me and I'll reach out to you rather than uh, put your information out there. So. Sounds good. I appreciate that, Amy. All right. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye-bye. For more information on the Boss Business of Surgery series, go to bosssurgery.com.